Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. This week joined by not Owen Hughes, as he's off sick or skiving, having fun on the bank holiday. Not sure which. I'm sure. Slacker. I'm sure he wouldn't skive off. No. Uh, Callum, Callum Petch. Hello. And, and the failed critic founder, James Diamond. Hello. Hello. Uh, Callum, have you recorded a podcast with James before? Yeah. A uh, long time back. Yeah. Uh, yeah on the yeah, original been, run. Yeah. This is like, yeah, like, yeah again, uh, like James is the person who let me start writing on Valkyrie in the first place. So. He's obviously the reason we're here. And occasionally. <laughs> in so many now, ways. Yes. Occasionally now he, he comes back to the podcast and, and being such a, a film aficionado and a, a film lover. Um, it's not the, the kind of art house films he comes back on for or Sight and Sounds Top 20 or no. even an Oscar special or a, you know, a, a, something like a Star Wars release uh, or a big Marvel film. It, it's, it's Fast and the Furious we get him back on for. Hell yeah. It's all about family, bro. Uh, Come on. A, mid, a middle-aged dad and we get you back on for Fast 8. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so welcome back, James. And obviously welcome back, Callum, as well. Um, Thank you. This week, we will be, like we've just said, reviewing The Fate of the Furious, the eighth film in the Fast and the Furious fan franchise, um, as well as the, the usual bits and pieces. No quiz, though, this week, um, because Owen's not here to, to host and try and score a point on me. So one of us watching... Don't you get me, a point by default, then? Because he's such a loser. No, I'm going to beat him fairly. So oh, okay, I can, oh, I can, be, I can be really smug when I have to make him watch something terrible. He, he doesn't take he doesn't take the, the easy road here. He go he he has honour. He has honour. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yes. It's, it makes it even more satisfying when he got to watch some utter garbage. <laughs> he lives his life a quarter mile at a time. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> now live your whole life like that or something. Yeah. <laughs> it felt like Sorry, that in spoilers, traffic this yeah. weekend. But, uh, Anyway, yeah, so we're going to go straight into the news. Um, uh, the only real bit of news this week, big news though, was that the first teaser trailer for Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi was released um, at the, uh, I assume, an annual Star Wars con type event somewhere in America. Um, I mean, I take it we're all Star Wars fans here. Yeah, Owen's not here, is he? So, no. Yeah, we, no. we can take that as red, yeah. Yeah, the terminal misery that is Owen isn't here, so um, <laughs> we can talk about Star Wars. Um, and I'll be talking about Star Wars more in, in what we've been watching, where I tried and, and somewhat failed a little bit to watch all eight in one day, back to back. Um, but more on that later. Yeah, so the trailer for, for Episode Eight, The Last Jedi, wasn't quite as exciting as the trailers for Rogue One. Uh, or Force Awakens for me, but it's Star Wars. 
didn't really need to be much for me to be excited about anyway. Is that fair to say from both of you as well? It was, it was, yeah, it's quite a low key trailer. Um, yeah. they're, they're clearly just giving, uh, which I quite like actually in a way, because I'm sick of seeing all the best stuff in films about a year before a film comes out. So, um, well, I mean, with, with the force awakens and rogue one, they were quite similar and we've seen other trailers kind of take tact. I think after that, hmm. um, kind of everyone being impressed at The Force Awakens didn't reveal anything about the plot. It just made you really excited for Star Wars, gave you some little ideas. I mean, everyone knows it's going to be The Force and Jedi and... And it's going to awake. Evil. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, it, it was, um, you know, very little was revealed about the plot in the, in, the, in the Force Awakens trailers. And the same a bit in Rogue One, although Rogue One, everyone knew the plot. There's some plans they had to steal them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was a slight element, I think, of uh, Force Awakens obviously got a little bit of criticism. I thought unfair in some ways that it was basically a remake of A New Hope. It, it but, was. But, but yeah, it, yeah. But it didn't really matter. It didn't take away from my enjoyment. And you watch this and this, all of a sudden I'm going, oh, look, there's Luke kind of being Yoda. Uh, yeah. There's Ray kind of being Luke. And yeah. And there's going to be a parental reveal at the end of the film as Rian Johnson and that. Okay, so they're redoing Empire now. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean the, the, the big the big thing from the trailer was was what we assume was Luke saying that the Jedi have to end. Um, yeah. But I mean, who who knows what that means? We now uh, Rian Johnson did actually say that the last Jedi is singular, rather he's using Jedi in the singular rather than plural. Because uh, yeah. there was a lot of debate about that, and it was quite interesting because he said. Um, he was quite surprised there was even debate because it had always been singular when when he was kind of putting the film together. So that was quite yeah. interesting. So obviously Luke is the last Jedi. Um, and yeah, maybe the Jedi aren't the good people that we've been led to believe in that sense. Yeah, and the only other thing really from the Star Wars side of it that, that was that Star Wars Rebels, which I think, to, even though it's a, a children's cartoon effectively, has been actually, the three seasons on been excellent been really enjoyable really good dark in places for a kids show and the fourth season coming out later this year is going to be the final season um so everything's got to be tied up there there's a few few characters the jedis in that you know how do you tie that up before you get into a, a, the events of rogue one and the new hope hmm. which will be interesting to see how they do but i'm looking forward to that because that has been a lot of fun as well um, before we move on from that, has anyone got anything else they want to, to well, talk just, about with regards to the, the Star Wars stuff? There was there was a couple of things. First one, um, uh, they confirmed that there's no Lando Calrissian in Last Jedi, which I was slightly disappointed about. Um, uh, Billy D. Williams came out and said, "No, I'm not in it." Although I'm really looking forward to seeing Donald Glover as as young Lando Calrissian. That'd be good. Um, and George Lucas, despite making all this money and everything, still can't shut up about <laughs> critics of the prequels and that that just wound me up a little bit yeah and he's still coming out and saying look they're meant for 12 year olds these films are meant for 12 year olds um and i just yeah, think but, oh, I mean, why was there all the senate nonsense in the films then because 12 yeah. year olds do not give a solitary one about that you're crap for tw- i mean callum I'd, I'd say that you're probably our resident expert on i know you animated films more than anything but you know children's film family films are quite well versed in those what what was your opinion on that comment from george lucas b uh <laughs> I, I, I don't i don't care <laughs> <laughs> that's why we got him here I, I, feel, I feel like if we just stop paying attention to everything george lucas says now then that's like like when we'll all just improve we'll all live longer happier lives <laughs> i feel so I, I mean there is a theory that disney are waiting for him to die 
so they can remake the prequels, which I don't think is a terrible idea. Does it involve chemtrails as well? <laughs> Quite possibly, <laughs> yeah. Can force lightning melt steel beams or not? Yeah, yeah, it's an inside job, definitely. Well, I don't know why they have to wait for him to die to do that, but, you know. Um, yeah, that's one the theory that's banded around. I'd prefer them to go and remake the pre- prequels and go and do uh, episodes 10, 11 and 12 if they wanted to carry on a, a, a Skywalker saga. Well, you realise they will be making Star Wars movies until the inevitable heat death of the universe or our inevitable nuclear apocalypse, whichever happens first, most likely the second. Yeah. <laughs> time for what we've been watching then where we take a look at the non-new releases we've seen in the last week or so i am going to start us off because i decided to watch all eight star wars films back to back on good friday like a madman yes there was some there was some good friday there was some bad friday there was some bored friday there was some sleepy friday um, was it also a long Friday as well? Ooh. It was. It was. It was a long Friday. I mean, I went out the night before. Didn't help my preparation because I started three hours later than what I wanted to, at around half past nine. Um, I didn't even get challenged to do this. I just decided to do it. With Rogue One being released on DVD last week, I just decided to do it. That's the kind it, of man you are. It was stupid of me. <laughs> I lo- and I love Star Wars, um, but I only love. Five of the films. <laughs> Christ knows why. I didn't even been off the prequels. Um, so I start. I went episode one, two, three, Rogue One, four, five, six, seven, um, and uh, to get the prequels out of the way more than anything, because there are very few redeeming features to the prequels. Um, but as I said, as I live tweeted the event as much as possible when I wasn't in the shop, missing the bits in the field in Attack of the Clones, but he just. <laughs> mess around with some space cow things and fall in love and that which and yeah so i went to the shop and bought lunch um wait did you literally leave a film running and going out the house yeah it's attack of the clones in the bit where padme and anakin go to go into hiding on the boo and they go to her parents house um, and then they go out into some fields and they dance around a bit and have a laugh and fall in love and have some really bad chonky dialogue between each other about love and the force and sand getting everywhere i thought you know what i've got to go for lunch at some point this is as good a time as any steve steve you know you can you know there's these things called chapter select buttons right that you could just use to skip back and forth well yeah um but anyway (laughs) he was a man on a mission he was on he was on a deadline (laughs) yeah there was some there was some good good ideas in the prequels that were just executed for so i think uh, I think uh, Qui-Gon Jinn and Count Dooku was kind of a, a good concept. Uh, Qui-Gon Jinn is a, is a Jedi who doesn't quite see eye to eye with the Jedi Order, um, the, the Jedi Council and the way they do things, but isn't evil in any sense of the word. Um, and Count Dooku, who does turn to the dark side in part, but more probably because of his frustration with the Jedi Order, uh, and and the way they do things, they're interesting concepts done badly. You barely find anything out about Count Dooku, played by Christopher Lee, and it just seems an absolute waste to have him in two Star Wars films and just being a completely pointless role that achieves nothing. Uh, and Liam Neeson just in one film is quite gone, where 
you know, with a, a better written film or trilogy, those two characters could be so much more, so much more interesting. Um, you need to bin off all the Senate stuff as it's for 12-year-olds, as George Lucas said. Um, <laughs> the CGI has aged terribly. Revenge of the Sith is okay at best. Hayden Christensen is just abysmal in this. He's the, he's the wrong person. He's too... He's too whiny and too... There's just something not right about him in that role. I have heard that he is good in some other films that he's been in. Well, I mean, for that for that to happen, you'd basically have to watch a whole load of religious dramas, seeing that's where his career's ended up now. Uh, <laughs> although Broken Glass is a is a great film, actually. I, I really enjoyed him in Broken Glass, but yeah, that's literally the only thing I think I've seen him in other than the Star Oh, films. Jumper. Everybody remembers yeah, that jump, one Doug jumper. Lyman film. Nobody likes yeah. to remember. Yeah. Um, and then... Yeah, it, it, the prequels just don't work, but there's a few good ideas in there that that should be. But and you, you're watching them, and you think, you know, oh, in um, in in the Phantom Menace, Jabba the Hutt turns up in like a little cameo. And you think if that was in the Force Awakens, everyone would go mad over it because Force Awakens was an enjoyable film with a feel of Star Wars about it, whereas Phantom Menace was just behold and just bored of it by that point. You think, oh, there's Jabba the Hutt. All right, there he is. <laughs> Um, then you get then you get out of the prequels and you get into Rogue One, which is obviously the most recently released, and that is just brilliant. Yep. I was a bit concerned when they when they were making the first non saga Star Wars film, and then they were going to make quite a few of these non saga Star Wars films until I saw Rogue One. I was just blown away by it. Rogue One is fantastic, and I'm disappointed that it's yeah. now become part of the exact same backlash that seemingly all the Star Wars films are going to get now, which mm. is uh, like that cycle of it comes out, it's amazing, it's brilliant, brilliant Star Wars, and then literally like two months later, it's absolute shit, it was awful, <laughs> the worst thing ever, Disney are monsters, and like and it's going to happen for episode, for episode eight as well, it will happen to the Han mm. Solo movie, and it's going to go on and on and on, and I'm just going to sit here finally getting properly into Star Wars for the first time in my life because these are good movies so far. Mm. But I mean, Rogue, Rogue One was just was everything Star Wars should yeah. be. Like it has problems. It does have problems yeah. in that there, but the feel, but the feel in that there, but when it comes together, Matt, there, especially in that final third, Matt, there, it's just mm. phenomenal. Like I know that it sounds like essentially giving the movie a whole pass because of forty minutes at the ending in that there, but a what a set of 40 minutes and b it's not like the entire film is crap up to that point and then suddenly becomes no. amazing mm. it's good groundwork that's been left in beforehand and that there that then just pays off brilliantly partially as well thanks to the time it was released and reflecting current circumstances and all that stuff in that there but just god that whole <laughs> ending is fin- it, that like that movie is great that movie is great it's 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 fun it's adventurous it's dark in places it's got good performances it's got good scenes i mean the darth vader scene at the end is just brilliant. I'm still curious as to why everybody hates that first Vader scene. I think I think it's quite good. Yeah, I it think it's quite good. Hu- it shows, a, on it shows a little bit of humour. You, you just yeah. think he would have a bit of a, a sarcastic yeah. sense of humour. For, for one, that's more character of like pre-New Hope Vader, like Anakin that there, than any of the actual prequels gave. And second of all, that scene was also important in the first place as well to set up, you know, um, yeah. Uh, Krennic's like fall and that bit as well, like his yeah. ambition, all that and stuff. It, that so everybody shut up, basically. That's my. That's my it one. does. You know, <laughs> it, it. I think. I think the ending is very brave. I think we can can do spoilers now. It's been out for a long time. You know, the to kill off all of the main characters is very brave for a franchise film because they could bring those. They're all. You know, they're good fun characters. You could bring back. Mm. Um, you know, Jin uh, uh, and Cassian and uh, K two. 
quite easily. And Donnie and Yen. Back. And, yeah, and his, Donnie Yen. his character has a name, but I'm just referring to it as Donnie yeah. Yen, basically. Um, I think it's Chirrut something. Yeah. Chirrut Yerwi or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's you know you could it's brave to kill off all your main characters in a film like that. But it, I, I thought the, the uh, bringing back Peter Cushing as CGI that worked when it could have been. I mean, it wasn't fan, it wasn't great, but it was it was good and it could have been awful. And the same with um, you know bringing uh, put not bringing back um, she hadn't passed away at the time, but putting a young yeah. Carrie Fisher in there as kind of CGI that was good as well. I tell you what, watching it back to back with A New Hope, it does run into it almost seamlessly. It does, you know, it does go from Rogue One into A New Hope pretty effortlessly. Yeah. Um, and you, re- you get even more sense of urgency watching it like that. Uh, then you get on to the original trilogy, which is just still, they, like I said, they might not be the best films ever made. They are my favourite films ever made. Which they versions are, they did you watch fun. out of interest, Steve? Uh, not the original, so I've only got them on VHS in a loft at my parents' house. Oh, okay. whatever, whatever Blu-ray has been released right, of okay, them. Right, okay, yeah. Um, when the original cuts come out on Blu-ray, eventually we'll get if, them. That, that'll be when George if, Lucas dies. Yeah. That, you'll have to wait for him to die to get those, I reckon, but yeah. But yeah, they're, they're, just, they're just everything you want in it, like a kind of family, I wouldn't say a kid's film, like a family adventure film. So anything like Indiana Jones or Back to the Future or these kind of films, it's just what you want. It's fun, it's funny, it's adventurous, it's gripping it, it looks brilliant even if you watch the original cut when when technology wasn't everything and to give George Lucas credit back then he always wanted to push the, the visual technology and the audio, audio technology and perhaps we wouldn't be in as far as we are in some places we are without you know him doing like industrial light and magic and THX and all that kind of stuff uh, Skywalker sound um, but they're just they're just brilliant they're fun yeah it's what you want from a big blockbuster film like that they're fun there's characters you like um it's dark in moments it's upsetting in moments uh, throughout the whole trilogy uh, i just wish that they had done they had done the original plan and rather of ewoks in return of the jedi they'd gone with wookies it would have been better and more yeah, believable never mind uh, it, it remember it was for 12 year olds <laughs> i just think no it's 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 down to cost because to make a if you're getting real people in the costumes, it's going to cost more to make a Wookiee suit than an Ewok suit. Okay, I thought you were I thought you were insinuating that um, little people were cheaper to hire than no, when, no, regular no, not or, people. Or they weren't real people, you fucking monster, Steve. <laughs> yeah. or, 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 right, perhaps, if they all wanted to go with practical effects rather than CGI, which obviously they did at the time, Yeah. how many, like, seven and a half foot people are there? How many Peter Cushings are, are about? Not Peter Cushing, uh, yeah. Peter Mayhew. Yeah. How many of them are there about? Uh, not many like seven and a half foot tall people around. It's probably easier to find people little to people. play Ewoks. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was trying to avoid using the term little people, to be honest, or anything else that might be offensive. But, you know, anyway, that's just me being daft. No, they're, they're, they're all great. And The Force Awakens, again, worried about that until I saw the trailer. I mean, I, I was confident with who they had on board because I... I know some of the Star Trek films in since it's been rebooted, people don't like so much. But I thought the first one that J.J. Abrams rebooted was good, not great, but not. He good. was always more of a Star Wars director than the Star Trek director. Anyway, he was always more naturally suited to Star Wars. I thought Wars, with the so. Star Trek, the Star Trek reboot, he managed to do that and make it appealing to to new fans as well as Trekkies. Mm. Um, and, and I thought so. If he's got Star Wars, which he's more of a fan of, yeah, he should do okay. 
I thought he did very well. It was a rehash of A New Hope, but it done what it needed to. It was like all the original Star Wars films plus, in terms of its tone, plus, and and and, it, and you know it got new fans on board and appealed to the old fans. Plus, as well, and especially if the next one appears to be any, any indication, the the fact that it's basically the tread mashup of the of like the original trilogy up to that point is seemingly the entire point as well, like leading up to it. Like this is clearly going to be about how nobody like about how those who forget history. Um, Living out leg like like living out legends and that there and time circle and all that kind of stuff from that there. So if they commit to it, then again, it's not so much a rehash as it is necessary, um, like ground building. Especially since when I watched it as well, I felt like the film was aware enough of the fact that it was redoing these things and calling attention to it as a general theme yeah. rather than just we're lazy, let's redo what let's just hmm. do all the Star Wars because everybody liked all the Star Wars beforehand. I mean, just thinking about it now, with with a lot of trilogies, even they are the are trilogies. It doesn't seem to be a a narrative that runs through all three. So if you look at Indiana Jones, they're all quite standalone. Back to the Future, they're all quite standalone. Um, trying to think of other trilogies, you know, a lot of you know uh, the superhero ones, so Iron Man trilogy, Captain America uh, film. They're they're all quite standalone. There might be current, you know, uh, themes running through them all, but they're all in the background. They kind of stand alone in the plots. Whereas Star Wars, it you know. If if you could get someone clever enough to do it, you could probably condense it all into a three hour film, and you know have a plot running like that. If that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I see what you're saying. Although I I take issue with you saying that Back to the Future is three standalone films because no, I think Back to the Future is actually more like Star Wars in a way in that that you need all three of those films. I can't watch one without watching the other two straight away. So. And they do; they've got that thread. But no, I, I see what you're saying. It's not a fr- the original Star Wars wasn't a franchise film of these characters go on a series of different adventures. It was telling a, an overarching story, and that's something yeah. that um, that's something that art has done for for centuries. To be honest, it's not it's not Hollywood bastardizing stuff. It's uh, you know uh, there's um, you know some famous operas there's some famous uh, pieces of work from playwrights like Shakespeare and Marlowe that do the same kind of repeating of themes and motifs because that is a literary device so yeah it, it, as long as it's done well then it's not rehashing it's just uh, you know it you can argue that it's just a uh, it's sharing motifs with previous work that would be the I suppose, the pretentious get-out-of-jail way to describe it. Uh, anyway, I've spoken about styles enough. I mean, I know people like me to talk about styles, because it's the odd occasion on the podcast where I actually sound like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but we'll, uh, we'll move on. So, James, what have you seen this week? Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's been the Easter holidays. I've been off work. I've been recovering from some minor surgery, and my Sky TV uh, hasn't been working for over a week so I decided to go through my Netflix list uh, watch some very decent films I've been meaning to watch for a while but actually what's hooked me the most in the last week um, is I've been wa- binge watched an entire session of um, The People versus OJ Simpson on Netflix um, and I didn't know too much about it so TV rather than film I know uh, but uh, it was developed by Ryan Murphy who is very fast becoming the master of the ensemble cast tv anthology series um he created american horror story uh this which is its subtitle is american crime story and he's got another series currently showing in america but not anywhere in the uk yet called feud um which is this first season is based on joan crawford and betty davis uh and 
uh, when they filmed whatever happened to Baby Jane and the feud that they had. So he's he, you know he's becoming a bit of a, a master of taking these real life stories and then dra- dramatizing them with a, an all star cast. Uh, I, I kind of stay uh, stayed away from this when it came out because I thought it looked a bit trashy. I'll be honest. I thought it looked a bit camp, a bit trashy. A Ryan Murphy show, campy and trashy. Never. I know. Never. I know. I, exactly. I was like, well, it's from the guy who did American Horror Story. And I've seen the set on set photos of John Travolta. And I thought, no, this is going to be a well, trash. I've, I've seen the first. I've seen it. No, I've seen all of it now. Yes, I've seen okay. all of it. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, and I, I remember O.J. Simpson because I'm an old bastard. Um, and so I remember this court case because I would have been about 14, 15 when it happened. Um, and even then, you know, being a, a British teenager growing up in rural Devon, I was hooked by this story of O.J. Simpson, despite never really following any American football or anything like that, because it did seem like this massive, massive thing. Um and, but then this won Emmy. It won the best miniseries primetime Emmy. Um, Sarah Paulson won an Emmy for her uh, her performance in this. So I thought oh, I should probably give it a go then. Um, and what I'll say is, first off, the the, the cast is fantastic. Um, but David Swimmer is still Ross from Friends. Oh, no, whatever but else, I, I, no, no, see, no, I got past that. Either, I in, got in past band, that. In, in, in Band of Brothers, he's Ross from Friends. Oh, this, no, he is in he, that. He's, but he's I... Ross from Friends. He's Ross from Friends. You've got to open your mind a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. <laughs> well, I'd say, um, so Sarah Paulson and Sterling K. Brown um, play the prosecutors um, who start off with a seemingly open and shut case and starts to crumble around them when they face off against this dream team of lawyers that OJ uh, has assembled. Uh, and they've got several missteps in the trial and they're, they're the real heart of the show. Um, Paulson won the Sarah Paulson, who some people will know from uh, sunset uh, 60 on the stu- studio 60 on the sunset strip. Um, and she was also in seven years a slave and yeah, number you, you'll kind of recognize her. Uh, but she had the original prosecutor, Marsha Clark, who she portrayed, she had her name engraved on the Emmy that she won and went to the Emmys with her. Uh, and apparently, they, you know, it, it, Marsha Clark has been really, really impressed with how the, the show dealt with the sexism that she had to deal with and all the issues that she had thrown out. On the other side, you've got, and I, this, I've, this is my notes here, David Schwimmer putting Lost in one friends. hell of a shift. As Robert Kardashian. No, he was yes. he was he was good. That Kardashian. I, I didn't even realise this. I like, oh, and then I had to go and this is one of those shows that you end up going down Wikipedia rabbit holes because you're like, what Robert Kardashian of the Kardashians knew OJ Simpson. What and like, well, yeah, yeah, because there, there's this thing that if like I heard, you know, somebody saying on some podcast, so it was the guy who threw the touchdown pass to OJ Simpson in some big game whatever whether it's a playoff game or yeah super bowl the guy who threw a, a, a pass or made some tackle that he, i don't really know understand american football no history of it, but this guy on oj simpson's team done something that allowed oj simpson to, to be the success he was if he didn't do that action in that game the kardashians mm. might not be what they are wow because of, your... because, of, because of the fall on effect that's the butterfly effect oj yeah. simpson might not have 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 uh, got involved with whatever happened with his wife, which would have meant Robert Kardashian never represented him in the case, which meant Robert Kardashian never got in the public eye, which therefore yeah. meant the rest of them never did. Because he was he was relatively wealthy, but he wasn't... Yeah, they, they weren't 
the the reality TV star, no. and it kind of makes little nods at that because he's with his young kids, and it's like, oh, they're the yeah, kids the, well, whose names I don't well, yeah, know. Kim, but, yeah, Kim, Kim, Chloe, and Courtney are all in this. Yeah, exactly. So, but his is the most wonderful journey in this uh, because he is OJ's most loyal friend at the start, and over the course of the series, you see him like think, hang on, my best friend might actually be guilty of murdering our friend because he was friends with Nicole Brown yeah. as well. Um, and, and there's a few scenes towards the end which are absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, and I, yeah, You've got Courtney B. Vance, who is ridiculously watchable as Johnny Cochran. Nathan Lane is superb as ever. John Travolta is an odd one <laughs> in many ways, in, in, in so many ways. He's been slammed for his performance, but to me, the oddest thing... Um, he is the oddest thing in the show, but I actually still believed him in his role. And, and he has got a charisma and a watchability that some actors just don't have. He, he's odd, but I enjoyed watching. He is the campy, trashy part of the show, definitely. His hair and his teeth and his Botox to hell face and everything like that. But he works. Cuba Gooding Jr. is interesting, though, because I, I th- the show goes for a real realistic feel um, with, you know, he uses great music, fashion, courtroom, camera shooting style. To It goes for realism uh, in a lot more ways than I expected it to. And most of the actors are going for impersonation to an extent. Um, but Cuba Gooding Jr. isn't at all like OJ. He's, he's not big. He certainly doesn't come across big on screen. And OJ was big. He was a big bloke. And OJ had a really deep voice. And Cubigan Jr's gone for this whiny, high-pitched kind of... that doesn't work at all as an O.J. Simpson impression, but as an acting performance, yeah, it sold me. Um, and and the show deals with two potentially massive problems as well. You, know, you go and go, well, I know how this ends, okay? So what? You, where's the drama going to come from? Because I, I know what happens. And so they, they deal instead with details and character motivations, you know, why things happen rather than what happened, which, you know, so that works. Um, and it, it uses the fact that we know about the big moments. You know, it kind of teases the Ford Bronco chase and it teases the, you know, right in the first episode, in the first 10 minutes, they find the glove and we know that's going to play out, you know, about eight episodes down the line. Um, so that, that's smart. Um, and the second more troubling issue, actually, is how, how do they deal with the fact that America as a nation is still massively divided on OJ's guilt, despite the verdict? You know, half of America thinks he was guilty. Um, half of America thinks he wasn't. And a lot of that does split down racial lines. And the TV, explore, uh, the TV show explores that very, very interestingly. Apparently, Cuba Gooding Jr. performed each scene at least twice performing once as if OJ was guilty and once as if he was innocent and then let the directors and editors choose which takes to use. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a kind of gimmick they came up with afterwards to explain what it was. But actually, this lack of clarity works well on screen and you you do get drawn in. You're you're not sure. Um, So I I really enjoyed it. It's 10 episodes long. It's available on Netflix. Um, Would definitely recommend it. The next, uh, because it's an anthology, next season is about a completely different story uh, and it's about Hurricane Katrina. Uh, and then season three, which will be out next year, is about the serial killer who killed Versace. Again, I just read about that and I thought, I didn't realise Versace had even been killed by a serial killer. So I went down another Wikipedia rabbit hole there. But uh, honestly, it, 
I checked my expectations at the door and enjoyed it. Okay, um, Callum, what have you seen this last week? I, uh, well, on and off since Friday, have been watching the brand new Mystery Science Theatre 3000 episodes because uh, on Netflix, because of course I have. Of course I, <laughs> I have been watching Mystery Science Theatre 3000 episodes. They're good so far. Um, I'm, three ep- I'm three out of um, 14 in, so just under a quarter. Um uh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's really entertaining. Um, like in 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 initially, it was like good, but had issues. Um, but like most of the ones, you could sort of ch- um chalk up to pilot, you know, like issues on like a pilot of any new TV show. Basically, uh, is that it, like the first episode was a little bit too excited. If you know what I mean about that, like I mean, for one, mm. the, the right, like uh, the writers' room of each of these episodes seems to have more members, like seems to have more people in it than the entire crew of the original show did. Um, so, like, so you get do, so you got these sections about where the riffs are coming out at like two hundred miles an hour, and everybody's rushing through them to try and get them in in time. And it's just like one after the other. There's a little t- room for like breathing to relax, um, like uh, um, uh, and also. There is a sense of it being a bit too overly rehearsed, because um, of course the whole point of Mystery Science Theater Three Thousand is that in the not too distant future, next Sunday AD, if it's instance, there was a guy named Jonah, not too different for you and me. He worked at Gizmonic Institute, just a regular Joe in a yellow jumpsuit. I told the stress call from uh, came about half past noon. That's when an evil woman trapped him on the dark side of the moon. She'll send him cheesy movies, the worst that she can find. La la la. He'll have to sit and watch them all, and they'll monitor his mind. Now, of course, keep in mind that Jonah can't control when movies begin or end, so he'll have to keep his sanity with the help of his robot friends: Cambot, Gypsy, Tom Servo, Crow. Yeah, you know, you know, best about there. Um, so, of course, the idea is that everybody's basically watching a movie for the first time. So, when the riffs come, it's essentially the idea is like is that you're sitting down watching a bad movie with like three of your wittiest Midwestern friends. Like sitting there riffing on it first time. Uh, the problem is that this time they filmed, like, because of advances in puppetry and that, there, they filmed the puppetry and the part of the film separately. So it's done to timestamps, which means that sometimes you get this thing where a riff will happen about half a second before the actual thing they're commenting on happens on screen. <laughs> and it's like, like it's, a, it's a bit of a jarring disconnect, basically. It's gotten better, but it's like, especially because again, the first episode's crowded, but. It is noticeable. And also at the moment, I'm not able to really tell the difference in the voices, like in the voices between the new Crow and the new um, Tom, and the new Tom Servo. Uh, like it's, they're just kind of too generic, especially since everybody likes to lapse into separate voices for like during the sketches as well. So you have to try and figure out which one's the voice of Crow and which one's Tom, and then also have to pay, and then also they keep changing their voices every five seconds because they're doing impressions of something on screen. But it does feel like Mystery Science Theater 3000. Which really is all I wanted here. Like, like, like when it started up, I, I, I had four specific requests for the show. Is that one? But it didn't Netflix itself, which is uh, essentially the way of, of referring to Rest of Development season four when it decided to, yeah, you know, when everything on Netflix decides to take a big stretch and just let their runtimes go on for much longer than necessary and throw in needless amounts of swear words and all that stuff. Nothing about that. These are still strict ninety-minute episodes. Uh, they even have the, they even have commercial bumper breaks as well um that there for where those would be as they like just like back in the day um <laughs> so uh, like and the riffs are still all nice and mostly you know like yeah 
PG map there, all friendly, all good nature kind of way. So that's good. Uh, like the, the second request I wanted was that um, it would remain good natured and kind. Because, of course, the whole thing about Mystery Science Theater 3000 is that its initial appeal back in the day in America map there was, of course, it was based on time when your TV channels were very limited. Um, so in an evening, you basically, if you wanted to watch television for bed, you basically had to just flip around and watch whatever anybody had put on. And a lot of channels were, of local like channels would put on terrible 60s, 50s B-movies that were very cheap. You could get rights to. And you just have to sit there and just watch weirdness unfold. And that, like, like and Mystery Science Theater 2000's whole thing was that they mocked these films, you know, for poor plot, terrible pacing, all this stuff up there, but mostly with, like, a genuine good heart. Like, with an actual appreciation mm. for the art form of a bad movie, for watching it for sitting there and doing so and that's something that i feel like some of their post mst3k projects have lost um specifically mike nelson's rift tracks um version of rift tracks essentially mst3k but for modern movies you know for like twilight or star wars right, yeah. all that stuff about they um and without the silhouettes you know, just in an mp3 format and those ones kind of too often are just, you know, like lots and lots of just mean-spirited jokes of a kind of lack of enthusiasm that's not there in the original ones. For the most part, not, these ones here and I, are like, they'll make jokes about, you know, about how bad the movie is and out there, but it always seems to be delivered in this nice, friendly, you know, like, again, like that kind of way where when you sit down, you watch a baffling bad movie and out there and you're intrigued by what you see kind of way. Like, it's a lot, like, like the feels there, that's good. Uh, three is that I wanted a nice load of utterly mesmerically bad movies that are just like weird in the most ridiculous ways and thankfully they provided with that um episode two um presents a film called cry wilderness which in theory is supposed to be a family monster movie like like a family fairy tale monster movie about a kid and his bond with bigfoot as a bunch of evil hunters try to kill you know try to hunt him down for crimes he didn't commit. In reality, it's about an obnoxious racist shithead, his father and Native American friend who who have who suffer from strange, deranged laughing fits, hunting down a tiger with very little relevance to a plot to find a Bigfoot who's on screen for basically five minutes of film in the worst Bigfoot costume of all time. Uh, in a film whose budget appears to have run out when they uh, like when they just started shoehorning in random animals and that there in the middle of the outback wilderness, including eagles and tigers and a whole load of random stuff for no reason, and um, a Sylvester Stallone wannabe who can't eat chicken properly. Uh, it's it's bizarre. It's really bizarre. But like, in, but in that way, that perfect way in that there, where the film itself is kind of funny enough on its own that you can laugh at the film, and then the commentary that's provided in that there is funny. It, it provides a second layer of comedy as well. So this is like that constant feedback loop of laughing back and forth at both of the different things. Um, so that's good. And fourth of all, I wanted 100% less transphobic jokes because that was something the original series was guilty of. And so far, I'd say I'd, I'd say it's about there as far as I'm aware. So that's, yeah, okay. so far it's very good. Um, like uh, like Joe, Jonah's quitting himself while as the host. Uh, Felicia Day and Patton Oswalt are your new mads. Um, and... Whilst it's still distracting to have people who are semi fate who are actually, you know, like sort of famous in these roles that were initially played by, you know, just generic Midwesterners, it kind of works for this current thing because the whole point of um, Kinga Forrester, which is Felicia Day characters back there, is that she's the granddaughter of uh, Pearl Forrester from the original series and she's trying to cash in on the MST3K legacy. In order- so, like, she's a villain, but she doesn't really have the temperament to do so, which fits in well. Um, uh, um, like, the jokes are 
like of the riffs and the jokes and that there while sometimes getting a bit crowded um from time to time like you can tell when they're like speeding through it to try and get it done in the gap between words and like in the film <laughs> um oh do work do do oh in there, they're also very funny as well and oh and as much and just like i love from the original ones as well they switch between generic you know like um just generic goofs or obvious pop culture references like um you know walking dead jokes and all that stuff out there to like like to just random ones about there like when uh, in crowd wilderness they come across a broken pair of um glasses and they go oh some hipster's not going to be able to read his tame impala liner notes ever again <laughs> or in, in uh episode three the time travelers when there's just this random moment of a musical, in, uh, like like a weird musical interlude. They go, okay, enough of a glissando's Joanna Newsome. Like, 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 yeah, like, like they just like sh- slam out of nowhere. Like, like a lot of the best episodes to me are the ones where you sit there and you think of a riff, and then they basically just say it back to you as it happens. I love those kinds of feelings. Um, but mostly, for the most part, again, currently it's working. It's working. It's it's like jo- it, like Joel Hodgson, the original creator, for one is back, and you can tell because the invention exchange is back, and the first host sketch in the first episode is a um, song, which specifically a rap about all the different kinds of monsters, like fairy tale, like like folk monsters and that that everybody has in the world because everybody because they're watching a monster movie and Crow and Servo believe that Japan only has monsters. So then you get this wonderful thing about that. Like it just feels right. Currently, it feels right. Like, I can just put it on. I could just sit down just, like, for an hour and a half, appreciate watching a bad movie, laughing at some good jokes, and kind of zoning out from everything else going on for a while, uh, which is good. It, like, it, it's it's what I personally need right now without getting into too, into miserable, depressing life details and that there. But it also, it works. It works. It feels like MST3K used to, and I'm really, really glad it's back. I'm, I'm really hopeful that, it, um, that other people finally able to check it out as well, because if there's... 20 episodes of the original series on Netflix for everybody to watch now if they want. Uh, and then there's all the new ones. And hopefully we'll get more of this as well because I feel like with a bit more time they'll be able to tweak everything perfectly. But for now, it feel it feels right. I'm really enjoying it. So time for a couple of new releases now. Um, the main one will be The Fate of the Furious, but first we're going to review a film that we didn't um, do last week. We we did a triple bill instead, and that is Boss Baby. And that is because um, me and Owen, and I think it was Broker who was on last week, um, didn't think it was going to be up to much, but Callum had uh, a differing opinion, um, and obviously... If if it's if Callum thinks it's worth seeing, we want to hear that opinion um, because it's different to what everyone else thought. So um, yeah, I, I, I cast you a diplomatic way of explaining me here to other people. <laughs> no, no, no. It was it was it was it was more the fact that none of us wanted to watch it. Yeah, <laughs> we, none of us refused. None of us refused to watch it. But based on the trailer, which I think is quite fair, it did, and and you know it didn't look like it was going to be very good. Um, uh, so I, mean, we, I mean, you could basically apply that vote to the problem with just a- advertising animated kids' films a lot nowadays, is it? Yeah, Effectively, unless yeah. you're Pixar and maybe to a little extent like it, it's advertised the exact same way all the time in such a homogenous yeah. way that just makes it look unappealing. Right, so I was not on to talk about Trolls when that came out, if I remember. Um, although I'm assuming nobody yeah. on this podcast ever touched Trolls for similar reasons. Right, so if Trolls was for... I don't, I don't want to go through my own personal history. It's not a time or a place, really. But... <laughs> right, so if Trolls was the worst DreamWorks film in half a decade, 
um, which hurts for me to say, because of course, as you may all, as you may know, because it's not like I ever talk about it that often, I did a 30-part series of retrospectives about DreamWorks for this very website at one point in time. Um, so I consider myself a bit of an expert on the situation. If Trolls was the worst DreamWorks film in half a decade, Boss Baby is the best in half a decade. If that makes sense, I mean, I mean, I mean, for the record, so people know, I don't really get along for how to train dragon series. Okay, that's my loophole. That's my excuse. Um, but no, like I'd say it's probably the best DreamWorks film since Madagascar Three. Coincidentally, they both share a director in Mr. Tom McGrath, um, who's working here. Uh, from a screenplay very, 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 very loosely based on a picture book for children out there called The Boss Baby. So, film stars uh, Mars Bakshi as um, Tim, uh, Tim Templeton, who is living a wonderful, you know, he's like seven years old, living a wonderful life with his parents and out there who are very successful business people, but always make time for him. And, you know, he's got vivid imaginations and that stuff. And then one day he gets a young baby brother like, who just shows up at the front door in a suit with a briefcase and immediately takes over the whole house which tim does not like that does not like very much at all on that there he assumes something is up which it turns out it is because the baby is not actually a baby it's well i mean it is a baby in that there but it talks like an adult specifically the, an adult voiced like alec baldwin the baby is here as part of a super secret mission to find like to try and find out what Okay, right. There's a lot of backstory here. You're going to have to bear with me, in a way. Um, right, right, so, babies in this film's universe come from up above. Right, they're, you know, they're, made, they're made magically in some kind of heaven-like place, and then they are put into a tiny simulator thingy where, they, if, where they're tickled by a feather. If they laugh, they go to a family. If not, they go to management. Like, and they become business people who are in charge of making sure the, ba- the, baby, the whole baby process and the world you know works i guess and boss baby which i bought about there has been sent down on a super secret mission because puppies are taking all the world's love are taking all the love in the world away from babies and if and if this keeps up then soon there'll be no love left for baby in the world in the world left for babies at all so it's up to the boss baby to find out what what the puppy people have got planned in that there, so, uh, so that they can stop it and then return the world to its natural balance and all that stuff. I can I can imagine your, your both your people's eyes are rolling right now out of your skull or just in complete confusion, aren't you? That no, because no, you've got to remember, I'm a parent and I see yeah. I see yeah. lots of kids' films. They, my, I, I didn't actually go and see this. My my wife took my daughter to see it. Um, and she's six years old, and she came back and said it's the best film she's seen at the cinema since Frozen. So Aww. she she genuinely really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's thing. Like like it all, it's a lot of backstory, a lot of belaboring. They do explain why the kid, yeah, like, why babies are able to speak like adults and that there, and yet are still babies. There's a whole load of backstory for. The pu- for Puppy Co. and that there and all that stuff and that there and what their plans are and that. It's all for a purpose though. Like the reason why I'd say Boss Baby is the best DreamWorks film um, since Madagascar Three, and this is over um, like Penguins of Madagascar, which is the other like high point of the past few years. It's because whereas Penguins of Madagascar is just kind of a really well done joke machine with a surprising amount of heart underneath. Boss Baby is raucously funny surprisingly sweet and also actually is about something like (laughs) this film is genuinely very smart in a very clever way like the whole film is very much like on on the base level it's a tribute to um 
like you know, to childlike to the imaginations of children right there. It's that kind of childlike imagination where you can be anything, go anywhere, do anyone as long as you think of that way. Yeah, you know, like that type of time in your life where the world is your oyster, like where the world is just a giant playground to you right there, and everything has a wild, early over imaginative explanation for such a thing. Um, incidentally, there is a reveal at the end of the film that explains that tells you for a fact this thing is basically all metaphors for stuff, but I won't go into that because you know. Somebody, somebody somewhere will complain that I've spoiled that I've given spoilers for the boss baby. <laughs> uh, I I know my luck. Um, so it was that, but also the film is very much actually a satire of capitalism, um, but not just you know like capitalism as a general grand thing. It's very much capitalism uh, a joke about um, the results people as commodity um, idea of capitalism out there, where capitalism only ever sees people as blank faces in suits who are designed to give results and value by their worth as people right, who can just be switched out at will and that there and not as you know, like human beings who have given so much of their life and made great service and that there in stride the thing about that it's just like disposable ways um it's satire of happiness commercialization like like for life like like how big life choices like having a baby or adopting a puppy are consider like have been rebranded to be kind of like lifestyle choices and that there like th- like things that you sell um food to people and kind of uh, like, like as like hip new things to own in a way um like specifically the, like the way like um puppy co has one big you know like, like reveal or, or like object out there that they're going to use to sell people on puppies forever. Um, because it's so adorable and so cute that nobody will ever want anything else again, as evidenced in one scene in which, as soon as it's revealed, a mother gives their youngest, like their um, the eldest daughter, their baby, the baby she was once holding, and just runs off, not caring about either of them anymore. Um, uh, it's like happiness commercialization, um, and how capitalism itself can essentially peddles lots of empty, uh, like like empty word like like empty phrases of meaninglessness and that there and peddling fantasies and dreams and aspirations that just make one more lonely that require self-destruction to get there and have no actual like anything beyond that like there's that constant thing in capitalism that where you're working towards something but there's never actually really an indication as to what that thing is and that there it's just a sort of you know like work hard you'll get like a corner office and then like nobody ever explains what comes after that and that there, um, and I realize this all sounds very heavy and like I'm reading too much into it, but the film actually support like but the film very clearly supports us the entire time through. And that if you turn if you do want to just look at it as a brainless kids film, you know, of loud cut, you know, of like loud chase sequences and pop culture jokes and all that kind of stuff and that there, then you can find it like that if you want. But if you actually pay attention, the film is supporting this reading the entire way through. Like, it very clearly knows what it's making jokes about, uh, what the prop, like, like, what its target is all the time. And it comes through, like, and it comes through in a way that's actually quite clever and very, that's actually surprisingly clever and smart. Um, in, like, in, in, in a very, like, like in, in a very, in a very, like, pleasant, like, pleasant way in that bit. Like, if you're just watching, just be like, like, like to see to be able to read it on a deeper level on that there. Whereas, um, as like a negative example, um, a couple of weeks back I saw Smurfs: The Lost Kingdom, uh, The Lost Village, 
whatever the fuck it's called. Um, and that film had an unintended trans subtext running underneath it with regards to Smurfette that, it, that they never addressed. Like, not once, not then. Like, they never seem to realise it. Boss Baby is always aware of what it's doing, what it's being about, and has that kind of care and attention put into it. Um, especially like which you'll especially know about that if you look at the visual designs of the film as well like I know from the posters and that that it looks like a standard DreamWorks film you know that standard you know that smirk and the same head you know like the same proportion size and all that stuff about that in actuality I think this is probably the best board the best looking DreamWorks film since Kung Fu Panda 2 or three, no, yeah, three. Let's say three. But like, like outside of the Kung Fu Panda series, this is probably the best looking of the DreamWorks films. Like in terms of boarding, in terms of art style, especially like when it hits the fantasy stuff from out there, of like cell shading and representing picture books and that. It looks lovely. It's very funny, very sweet. I really, really liked this. Um, I'm gonna go for. I'm gonna go to bat for this at the end of the year, unless you know the rest of animation this year puts in a stellar year. But no, this is this was great. This did not deserve anywhere near the amount of score everybody heaped upon it immediately. Again, it could have been worse. It could like you could have put that attention to the Smurfs for Lost Kingdom instead. Right there. Instead you put it on the Boss Baby. A perfectly fine, really entertaining and often great film. So near. Near. That's that, that's to- that's totally going to fix my appearance of like a standoffish snob in front of the audience here, isn't it? Just go just go near. Okay, um, so yes, on to the main review for today then, um, and that is The Fate of the Furious, the eighth film in the, the Fast and the Furious franchise, um, bringing back uh, the, the, the main protagonists of, uh, and characters from the other films, so it's Vin Diesel's Bat, so it's The Rock, and uh, Jason Statham for his second appearance, <laughs> Helen Mirren's in this one, briefly, Charlotte Theron's in this one. Yes, um, but I think everyone knows. She, she apparently wanted to be in this as well. Oh, no, no, she, she, will clearly, she will clearly be in more of these. Um, like, yeah. like the same, I, I, think, I, I completely <laughs> forgotten until she showed up like on screen. I lot of the films one fuck as well, and I was like, ah, I forgot, this is amazing. But I, th- but I, think, I think that it wasn't a case of them so much approaching her to be in the film. I think she actually actively said in some interviews or on a chat or something, oh, I want to be in a Fast and the Furious film. Yeah, yeah, she, she was yelling about how she wants to drive cars really fast and smash them into stuff because, oh, Helen Mirren. Um, but yeah, so so they're all back for for another film. Until the next one, one last and ride. then the 10th. Yeah. And then another yes, last and, ride. And then one more yes. very definitely final ride. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the eighth film in the franchise and it's just as mental as all the others. Yep. Oh, yeah, properly... It, it, or it should, or it should. They should just, you know, F- Faith of the Furious, even mentaler than the last yeah, one. Yeah, I, I, oh, I went in a bit nervously because, as as kind of older listeners will will know, I'm I'm a relatively recent but pretty zealous convert to the the series, and I saw a few reviews come out that seemed to slam it, and I I was I thought, oh no, are we at, are we due an absolute stinker here, or you know, and um, luckily not. I, I yeah. It's it doesn't reach the high points of um, I, Fast Five. I think is mostly not universally, but mostly agreed as the kind of high point of the series when the series kind of rebooted itself in a way, introduced uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, and became more than a kind of weird Top Gear Eastenders, and yeah, it, it keeps that Top Gear Eastenders feeling going through it, but also has genuine aims to be a big set piece action blockbuster as well. Um it's also a heist movie. Yes, you yeah. can't really go wrong with heist movies. Exactly, exactly. Um 
but yeah, it, it's one of those things. Like, it's it's not it's not clever. Um, despite trying to be clever at one point, yeah, dropping in references to Glass's choice theory. Um, it kind of came out of nowhere. Clearly, one of the writers had just been on Wikipedia on one of those Wikipedia rabbit holes one day and come across Glass's choice theory, and uh, that's you know. But even then, Charlie's Theron's character basically goes, "Look, you only need to worry about the first two. Don't don't even bother about the rest of them." Because then I obviously went on Wikipedia and looked up the rest of them. And went, "Yeah, that would have gone over most of the audience's head and mine uh, as well." If you'd started talking about those in the middle of the film, um, it's dumb. It's fun. Uh, you get. You get a, a Dwayne Johnson, Jason Statham buddy movie for about a third of the runtime, which, yeah, uh, who doesn't want that? <laughs> Seriously, I, I, I want I want a real one. Like, like even as it was happening for my eyes, I was like, I want I want a real Jason Statham, Dwayne Johnson buddy cop action movie uh, it, now, please. It just please would be because uh, I, I read, I heard rumors, and uh, I still don't know how much of the alleged beef, uh, as I believe the kids would say, um, between Vin Diesel and Dwayne Johnson is real or was essentially marketing for this film because they're meant to be you know going up against each other in, to a certain extent um but apparently you never can tell with professional wrestlers that's that, that, exactly right <laughs> um but apparently there was meant to be a post uh post credit sequence with statham and johnson and vin diesel vetoed it or something that yeah that's what i've heard um but i i would be all over you know not even just a spin-off of those two i just need to see those two on screen because for me the best bits of the film were those two going up against each other um and and jason i'm i I can't believe i'm saying this is the kind of world we live in now where i'm having to be careful about genuine plot spoilers in a fast and furious film uh so i will i'll just say that towards the end there is a sequence on a plane with Jason Statham, which is the most fun I've had in a cinema for a few years. Uh, it, it, he's he proper star quality there. Um, yeah, I, I, and oh, the other thing, uh, there was a again the set pieces just get more and more ridiculous, and you do kind of wonder, okay, what are they going to have to do next time to top it? And it's going to take some I, I, space. That was, yeah, you kind of space and dimension hopping. I will do, as I have said repeatedly for the last several years, that that's where they need to end the series they, on. I, they will, Universal. They, that's pay, how you, you bring back Han as well. That's how you bring back Han because I, I miss Han. Exactly. Yeah. Evil Han. Yeah. Oh. Evil Han. <laughs> they will go. Or good, no, no. Or good Han having come across as like time travel from the future to go, guys, we need to kill this person now and that there. Otherwise, everything will go awful. Yeah. They will go into space, yeah. surely. I think Chris Morgan just shot down the it, idea it, of them going. Yeah. To space but they need to they need to. it's the only thing that makes sense it is the only thing that makes sense what i mean what else what else can they do how <laughs> i mean they've jumped cars from skyscraper to skyscraper yeah. what yeah. else can they do you've you've got to at least go yeah you know, they're near earth orbit somehow because got to... because right they've they're, they're doing kind of what the expendables did in getting big like a big star in every mm. film like to go new now so getting someone big in every next film. Yeah, they just keep adding a new person, don't they? And what's lovely is the old ones keep coming back. But how many how many can they add realistically now? So they've got to go they've got to go bigger with the plot and the in the yeah. set pieces because they can't go bigger with the with the characters, with the actors in it. So what you know, where do they go next? They have to go absolutely yeah nuts yeah i i've I, yeah I'd, oh the other the other spin-off that i wouldn't mind actually is um 
is the Shaw Brothers as well. Just, yeah, I could watch the Shaw Brothers themselves, you know, go on forever as well. And with Helen Mirren. Yeah, there we go. Let's, let's just get a, a whole Shaw family prequel going on. I'm all over that um, as well. Like, I, 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 I was sort of worried going in as well um, because the initial word out of it from people was that it betrayed the series up to this point. Because, because the thing about Fast and Furious is, like, like mm. but so many people, like, specifically if I'm a family about that who have not kept up with it, about that, always look at me like a madman when I say, no, this series is great. And it's great because yep, yep. it has something that basically no, that very, very few other blockbusters nowadays do have, which is sincerity. Like, 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 these movies are goofy, they are ridiculous, they are melodrama, like, they are ridiculous soap opera melodramas um, and, that go on about family and how the best way to solve all the problems is to throw cars at it, and when that doesn't work, throw more cars at it. Um, that, that's, ha- that's gone through amnesia, fake deaths, <laughs> hidden pregnancies, like, the lot uh, up to this point. But it always works because the entire time it is always completely sincere and honest about everything. And that's why it works. Like, that's why it can send Paul Walker off into the sunset yeah. at the end of Furious 7. Um, and, like, sit, and you can sit there with genuine tears, like, streaming out there. Even if you haven't listened to Charlie Poo from Wiz Khalifa wail over nonsense. But, like, it's genuinely moving because it's earned it. Um, so that's <laughs> what I was sort of worried about heading into this is that it would betray that thing. I think fate is good. Like the last third is incredible. Like the la- the last third, um, when it goes full bond, is incredible. Yeah, yeah. It, like like is incredible or too. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Is yeah. incredible it's or too dumb yeah, for its own die another day. Whichever but, works. Like, but the but whole good. feels <laughs> off. Like if that makes sense. Like, yeah. like 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 I definitely say it's the worst of the series since Fast and Furious. I actually really like Fast mm. and Furious, so that's not as much of a like burn as it sounds on paper. Mm. But the whole film does feel a bit off. Like I, it's hard to explain why. Mm. Like like not because of spoilers and that. But it's just like, um, like like although it does betray some of its past history mm. in that in order to let its best moments in that final third happen. Like of course. Because after all, let's not forget, um, during Furious 7, when somebody asks at um, Han's mm. funeral what Dom's going to do to deck, like, you know, to Deckard Shaw when he gets his hands on him, and the Dom goes, words ain't even been invented yet. And yeah, and then in this one, we'll just invite him around to the family cookout at the ending. It's all good. Yeah. Like, I know that like <laughs> everybody can be redeemed in this series and that you know, morality is relative and all that stuff from out there, but it's a bit... Like, it has to stretch a lot to put Jason Statham into the situations in this film where he gets to pull off shoot 'em up um, set piece rip offs. Yeah. And, like, like and everything's fine. But, um, but like, like but, it, but the whole film just feels kind of a bit off. Like, all the pieces are there for your usual Fast and Furious fun times. Except, except for Paul Walker. Yeah. Uh, and is that, and, you know, the he wasn't the greatest actor. By any stretch of the, but again, he was earnest and sincere. You are reading and... my mind right now, James. Yeah. <laughs> like, like... But yeah, that's what we're. Uh, you are missing that heart there. Yeah, I, I, that's the thing that you cannot help but notice. Yeah, like some of it, like some of it, I think might be like a Paul Walker again. Like he's not the greatest actor out there, but he brought a certain specific grounding heart to the franchise. That even mm. as it got more and more extravagant and ridiculous over the last few films, like you have that kind of heart, probably. 
you know, like initially like legacy map there, but also just from Paul Walker himself map there that just tied it down. And yeah. the series is trying to find a new set, like a new second heart to pin on there. Um, I'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, but, uh, some of it might be the pacing, which it, and the length, and some of it might be the length. Um, like specifically, there's um, like Tyrese and Ludacris in this one. That there, like for example, they're, they're, like a whole all the original cast of that, well, the original cast of that there, but, like all of, you know the Dom family stuff in that there, kind of. It feels like there are scenes that are supposed to be there, like in the like in the previous films about there where they'd all just interact with each other and hang out and that there and swap interactions mm. and all that stuff and that there. The it feels like either was cut from the film for whatever reason or wasn't actually there in the first place. I'm going to believe more the first part. I because the second part's a bit more like cynical and that there, as if the film doesn't realise exactly what the purpose yeah. of Dom's family serves him out there. But it feels like, for example, again, with the, um, the beef between Hobbs and Shaw and that there, you know, Rock and Statham that there, is they mm. spent like half the film bickering back at each other and forth and that there in a hysterically brilliant way. Um, and then after one scene, they're suddenly the best of buddies and that there. Like yeah. one scene of Finley Valley. But like it feels like there was supposed to be more there and it was cut for whatever reason. Um, Quite possibly length. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, some of it's that. Some of it uh, is definitely F. Gary Gray's direction, um, mm. which I don't think he gets this series like Justin Lin or even James mm. Wan of The Last One did, really. Um, like, I mean, F. Gary Gray, I don't think, has ever really been great with action anyway to begin with. Uh, no. But, like, it's especially palpable here. Like, there's a, I'm not going to spoil any of the set pieces because the only set piece I knew about going in was the submarine that's been put on all the trailers mm. and that, or, or all yeah. the posts and that there. But there's a set piece in the middle of the film that is nonsense and <laughs> should be... Like, like, I should have been sat there cackling with glee like I do, you know, all the best Fast and Furious moments. Like I did yeah. with the um, skyscraper jumps in the last, you know, in the mm. um, in Furious 7. But just kind of didn't really react in any strong way too. And I think that's mainly due to Gray's direction, who just kind of doesn't really he doesn't really seem to have a handle on action. Like he can cut, he can, you know, you know, he cuts and that there, he follows all the rhythms and that there, but something's off, if you get me. Like like he doesn't seem to have a proper graphic tone. He definitely can't shoot a fight scene for shit, though, I'll tell you that much. No. <laughs> I, like I, I, I want Justin Lin so bad to just come to just either come back to this series or physically sit down every single person in Hollywood and go, "Oi, this is how you do a fight scene." Like, like just to remind because the fight, like when they did fight scenes in other films about that, it was amazing. And yet, in the last two Fast and Furious movies without Justin Lin directing, the fight scenes have been kind of bad. Coincidence? Yeah. I think not. There we go. Um, so yeah, I think some of it's definitely Africa Gray's direction, who again doesn't really seem to properly come alive until the film goes full bond at the end. Some of it I think might also be tired genre tiredness. Because of course, like this is now the third straight action Fast and Furious movie in a series that before Fast and Furious, like before Fast and Furious 6 was mm. you know, switched out genres every single movie. Yeah. Like the first one was a point break riff with was a point break riff of cars. The second one was a shitty buddy cop movie. The third one was a coming of age drama of a guy who cannot act for the life, like to save his <laughs> life. That's why I don't think Tokyo Drift is the best in the series. Lucas Black is a terrible actor. Um, the fourth one was a good buddy cop movie. The fifth was a heist movie, and then the sixth and seventh and eighth have all been action movies, albeit mm. going steadily more Bond as the time goes on. And again, I feel like 
like at a certain point they can turn it up but there's a certain point where it just can't really go any further and you need to throw everything out and start again like they used to um that said again as mentioned for paul walker thing though i do feel like instead it's like like this is not a bad movie in any way like none of this is bad or boring or any of the backlash that you know that i can tell you for a fact that hungry critics out there have been dying to wait for you know, to waiting for this series to slope up for even a second to put the knives back in because of course everybody despised the series until fast five so what do they know uh like none of it's bad none of it's boring or anything like that it is a hell of a lot of fun like 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 like, it, like even when it's not turning you know like going up to 11 like in the finale about that it's still a hell of a lot of fun um it is still fast and furious even if it feels slightly off and it is still mad as hell uh, like multiple times for this movie i i exclaimed to nobody in particular because i was with nobody in the cinema back there I was, just, I was just sat there in the front whilst everybody else was like behind me back there and just got, and just said to nobody in particular how much i love this goddamn franchise but it is very much a series in transition like yeah. like i think that's why we, we can allow it this one time because it's a service it's trying to recenter it like even more than furious sevens thing about that you know of course when paul mm. walker tragically yeah. died halfway through that at least then meant that it had something to you know like a specific goal to strive towards and all that stuff about there whereas here now they've got to try and find what to do next and so it's in transition it's having a bit of a struggle it's like i don't think there's anything for it to worry about yet though um it's in transition everybody's in transition they've got they have the past to make to me anyway to make a slightly subpar entry like, like if I gave scores, I'd say three stars out of five. Be like a, a really high three, you know, like a three mm. on the verge of a four, because the series, like the series, has been better, but that doesn't mean this is a bad movie, especially yeah. when it no, probably gets going near the end. Um, yeah. I mean, if the next no. one's bad, no, what, um, what, 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 not bad is about this, then we can start worrying. But mm. for now, I think it's earned the right to have a transitionary period to try and figure out. And there are several moments, especially in the final third, that will go down as some of my favourite in cinema this year. Um, so that's that, 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 that's I mean, me on this. So there we go. A tip for you for, for when you're getting in the car uh, after watching a Fast and the Furious film. Don't look uh, at your significant other. Rev the engine and then just say ride or die. <laughs> <laughs> Because the reaction you get is of one that 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 she wants to dump you, and you're a dickhead. Ah, uh, see, I, I got to drive home on my own, and yeah, every time I go and see a Fast and Furious film in the cinema, I I really love the drive home afterwards. <laughs> I like, I'm properly like looking at my hand doing the gear changes and everything like that. In your it's in amazing. your Vauxhall Corsa, it's a Nissan Micra actually. <laughs> oh well, that's even better. <laughs> well, well, um, I, well, I followed up my Fast and Furious eight film not by driving but watching Going in Style on Table Nineteen, which yeah. definitely curbed any enthusiasm to drive really really fast. <laughs> I mean, the other thing is after watching. Fast and the Furious, don't go home on the bus. Yeah, <laughs> it, it kind of takes away all the all the kind of <laughs> of adrenaline and everything. The, the exact uh, same we... effect that one could get from watching a Zach Braff movie. So there we go, we've learned well, something new. Yeah, a Zach Braff movie is like sitting on a bus. <laughs> uh, anyway, before we go, we need to recommend stuff for you to, lot to watch. I am going to go Netflix and a horror film The Babadook is now on there. Uh, back on actually that watch. Back on. I didn't. Really, I never caught it on there the first. I saw it at the cinema when it was released a few years ago. Really good, uh, interesting, and, and a bit different for a horror film. Very good. Um, that's back on Netflix UK. Callum. Uh, 
Well, I'm, I'm going to recommend three things very quickly, though, not actually talk about them. Uh, because Brooke is not here, but I know he will appreciate it. The Neon Demon has been added to Netflix. Uh, the Nicholas Winding Refn art horror movie from last year, which you will either love or hate, or just find incredibly boring, um, like I did right there. But uh, I know, I know, if Brooker were here, he'd be recommending the shit out of it. So that one's for you, Brooker. Uh, second of all, as mentioned, what I've been watching, Mystery Science Theater Three Thousand is on there. You should all take the time to give Mystery Science Theater Three Thousand a try. If nothing else, watch the Space Mutiny episode of the original one, and you will thank me later. My actual recommendation, however, is Tower, which is a um, documentary about the 1963 University of Texas um, sniper, uh, or 1966 University of Texas sniper shootings uh, that left 17 people dead. Retold in rotoscoped animation, um, it's harrowing. Like, like it's how it's beautiful like animation right there but utterly harrowing viewing i caught it at the london film festival last year and i i i loved it i thought it was fantastic um and it's now on netflix after having been in cinemas like literally two months ago so and james uh yeah after kind of working through my netflix uh pile to watch the one that i'm gonna uh, my favorite film that i've seen in the last week on netflix um and it's kind of apt with uh thor ragnarok coming out soon-ish um uh, i finally got to watch hunt for the wilder people um directed by taika watiti who did uh the utterly brilliant what we do in the shadows which is also on netflix shock which is also on netflix as well so make it a double bill and watch what we do in the shadows followed by hunt for the wild people which is a, a just a really really sweet and funny film about um uh, an inner city boy in New Zealand moving out to going moving out to rural New Zealand with Sam Neill as his kind of begrudging foster pet. I won't go into too much. Yet. It's just if you want a lovely, warming, funny film to watch, that's the one to go for. Okay, though well, that's it for this week's Fail Critics podcast. Thank you all for listening and reading the the articles on the website and all of that kind of stuff. We'll be back next week, me and Owen, with some other people. Um, and some films and things. Owen's not here to tell me what we're doing next week, so I just turn up and I'll be there along with all of you. Um, so like I say, thank you all for listening. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, on Twitter at failedcritics, and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash failedcritics. Thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.